Jeff Cover, and we welcome you to this special Disney at Play and Disney at Work podcast. The coronavirus has impacted Disney in an amazing way, and in two other podcasts, we have uh, tried to tackle this topic. In the first podcast, which honestly was probably the first podcast dedicated to the potential impact of the coronavirus, we looked at the possibilities, not even realizing how quickly at that time all of the Disney parks would be closed worldwide. The second podcast, which I really welcome or invite you to to listen to after this one, is an attempt to bring inspiration and hope in the sea of this experience and the challenges that we are facing with this coronavirus. Today, we are going to look at reopening Disney. What will that look like when the gates finally open up? What entrance requirements will be involved? What is transportation or staying at the resort might be? Food and beverage, going on an attraction, hitting the restroom. We're gonna look at all of that. And as well, we're going to talk about when will Disney reopen? Potential dates, the qualifications for reopening which parks will open first or the availability of offerings at Disney when it reopens. And to do so, we invite you to make sure you check our notes page, which will outline all of this. And, uh, and with no further ado, let's get into the program. All right, we are here and I'm happy to have my uh, cohort in crime, Mr. David Zanola. How are you today, sir? It's hard to commit a lot of crime when I'm stuck at home. <laughs> but you know, crime all around, I think, is kind of down as a result yeah. of this coronavirus. I guess we ought to do a, a podcast where we talk about maybe the, the blessings of this crazy event. Probably um, not a bad idea. I know. I've had to kind of remind myself that there's probably some good things coming out of it. But but that doesn't mean I don't want the parks to reopen because <laughs> I really miss them. And that's our theme today. What will visiting Disney look like when it reopens? Now, I want to do, uh, if, before we even get started, I want to make a special note. Uh, neither David or I, we do not pretend to act for Disney, nor do we have any exclusive inside trader information on this, um, other than our years of working for Disney for myself, of researching and sharing their best practices, of being in the heart of the travel industry. We've kept a close eye on this, and I think I think we could share what I would see as probably the kind of conversations that are going uh, around uh, the upper hallways of Disney, or virtually, because they're probably not in their offices either, um, and trying to really understand what is going on in their minds and how Disney will reopen. Yeah, I think that's a good distinction to make. Is These are in no way predictions. These are discussions you and I have had just casually over the phone of, what do you think that would mean? Or how, how in the world would they accomplish this? And so this is simply just us sharing some of these ideas because I think a lot of times until you hear somebody mention an idea, you say, oh, well, I never thought of that being a possibility, or I never even realized that's something that could be considered. And so we are in no way saying these are discussions that are happening. We're saying, knowing the parks as well as we do, 
we would be surprised if things like these things we're going to mention haven't at least been discussed in some way, shape, or form, but we don't know that they have. It's just us saying, oh, if we were going to be in charge of starting to open up the parks, what things would we have to consider? Yeah, and the question we would invite our listeners to ask is, is given these kinds of requirements, how soon would you want to be back at the parks? Because it's going to open in stages. It won't be exactly the same as it ever was, but it's not going to be dramatically different by the time this is completely over. However, um, you know, just ask yourself, you know, is this the kind of place you want to come to if these situations and how soon would you want to come back? So let's start with uh, the issues of park and park security and entrance requirements. After 9-11, lots of changes were made to how guests enter the park. And in fact, those changes are still being made even after all of these years. New security bag check. Uh, just before I, I uh, the last visit I had to Disney's Animal Kingdom, they were still putting on the new bag check security area for Disney's Animal Kingdom. Mm-hmm. They had just finished most of the work on the Magic Kingdom, although it still left a lot to be desired. Um, studios had been completed. Epcot still was underway. So now we add this whole thing where it's not just about a bag check or making sure you're not bringing a firearm or something like that into the park. But how do we make sure that the people who are in the park are healthy and they're not necessarily... Uh, uh, you know, contaminating others with a potential virus. Um, one thing that Bob Iger noted last week in an interview was that, you know, they were looking at uh, those fever check devices that they put to your forehead, which are non-invasive and very quick to, to read. I've been in hospitals uh, helping out others and, and have been subject to, to, subjected to those uh, fever checks. They're very quick to go through, but That would certainly be one of them. Uh, But could there be other things such as maybe you have to bring a doctor's note uh, to come into the park. Would you be okay with that? Um, Or right now there is the idea, I don't know if you've been following up on this, but I think Apple and Google have both been working on an app that does this kind of contact tracing where it kind of identifies other people identifies those who have the virus and then identifies others who may have been in contact with those individuals. Singapore has been using some kind of app that, you know, it's kind of like, um, uh, it, 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 theoretically, as I understand it, kind of tells you um, whom around you might be, uh, you know, have had experience with the virus and so forth. So any rate, some kind of proof of health when you go into the park. What are your thoughts here, David? Yeah, so here's the thing, and I'm probably going to be, I'm my, by, by my very nature, I'm a little more of a worrywart. And so I start to think about with these decisions that have to be some of the most difficult decisions they've experienced in operations on so many levels at, since September 11th, maybe even worse, uh, you know, would be the dominoes that fall when you do things like that. For example, the the thermal scanning, you know, the the quick scan temperature, you're only showing a temperature if you're symptomatic. And the research seems to indicate that mm. you could technically have be infected 
two, three days before you actually start showing symptoms or you have the letter from your doctor. Well, if I go to my doctor today and my doctor says, yep, you're good to go, here's your letter, and then I fly to Disney two days later, by then maybe I have symptoms or what does that do to the healthcare system if thousands of people are saying, I need to go to a doctor and get a note from my doctor that says I'm good and then what does that do to overwhelm the health system? And so, yes, I think those are all possibilities. I just start to wonder, and it's a fascinating organizational study of which of those seems to be both the most reassuring uh, and which of those seem to be the most realistic and logical in terms of helping an, an outbreak from, from happening. Um, no matter what happens, it, I, I think everybody that's a Parks fan that's listening needs to kind of just accept the fact that the park entrance experience is going to be drastically longer than it was pre-COVID. I mean, there's no way around that, right? Yeah, um, and you know, the, I'm so glad you said that because the parks are about, uh, you know, if you've read the book, The Art of Reassurance, uh, yeah. which John Hench talks about, the idea that you feel safe and comfortable and life is okay now and everything's okay. Well, if you, it, there's a there's this balance point between doing things that create for that so that you you know people are going to want some of this because it makes them feel like oh okay i'm going to be okay once i'm in the park people have agreed you know for instance to the back checks and because and because uh, they know that it's going to be safer once they get into the park so they like that idea but at the same time if you're constantly it's all it's constantly a reminder in your face um that's a challenge too by the way the cruise line already is doing some of this has been doing this for some time this proof of health kind of thing you know you always ask they always ask you these questions have you had the flu or diarrhea or some you know some of these questions didn't they as you checked into your at the cruise desk at the terminal um so this is not entirely new uh, to be asking some of these questions. It's just a question of, you know, and, and by the way, here you are taking a fever check and it's uh, 99 degrees outside. Right. Yeah, no, I mean, that's a, that's a very good know? point. I mean, I mean, what that does to, you know, how that happens in the summer. Um, yeah, no, I well, yeah, and they do ask those questions before you get on the cruise, but you and I both know all you're basically doing is saying, yes, I'm good. And I promise you there are hundreds and hundreds of families a day, I, I guess I can't promise, I would assume getting on the cruise ships that their kid might have a fever or they might be getting over a fever. They're like, we've paid this much for a Disney cruise. We're not going to get, we're not going to risk not being able to board for a seven day Disney cruise that we've been waiting a year and a half for because I've had a little fever. I'll be fine. But I think this all boils down to the reality that we don't know enough to know enough right now and things are changing what right. seemed to be daily. And so if the executives at Disney, you know, the recent article that I shared with you that apparently Bob Iger is starting to, is is taking back over out of necessity some of his his responsibilities that he would have given up as CEO or basically pitching in a little bit more. What they're discussing today might be irrelevant in terms of when we learn more information in seven, 14 days, whether treatments are effective, whether they learn more about how it's transmitted. And so... It's just all, I don't say fascinating lightly, like I'm not sitting here enjoying this, but just from somebody that really loves to dig into the how of operations of a massive theme park business, it's all fascinating to follow because of all the different options they do have. 
well, uh, yeah, how do you make these decisions and right. and how do you come to those conclusions is is really uh, very much at the heart of this. Now, uh, add to this um, the thought that once you enter, uh, and by the way, I would also say that we just talked about park security, but isn't there some kind of screening, some kind of activity when you check into a Disney hotel? Yeah. And by the way, what does it look like at Disney Springs? So we'll get to those, but those are issues outstanding too. Um, you get into walking in the park and the expectation of wearing face masks and and maybe even gloves, you know, uh, definitely among the workers. I remember, uh, and I've got a picture I'll post for this podcast, when I walked into... Um, a ice cream parlor next to David's beloved Club 33 at Shanghai Disney, um, I noticed this sort of plastic face mask that went around this ice cream worker. And it really stood out. I had seen masks worn by people who were walking around the park, but I had never seen it, by a ca- seen it worn by a cast member. And, you know, we make expectations of hairnets or caps and things of that nature with... with uh, cast members who work with food and beverage but it kind of you know made me think well why don't we you know have these kinds of masks on our other than the fact that it kind of reminds us of potential contamination but yet it's the thing that prevents contamination so it's this tipping scale where wearing it kind of makes everybody anxious about getting the ice cream but then you get to a place in time where not wearing it makes you anxious about getting the ice cream you yeah. know, and it, it's that it's that kind of funky, funky place. Um, they actually have a lot of those um, uh, food uh, food services uh, protections in place in Tokyo as well. Yeah. Um, so you'll see a lot of them. But yeah, no, I noticed that, too. And I don't know where it was, but Shanghai would have been the first place that I noticed um, the food preparation. So, right. I mean, what is at what point do more things make you more nervous than less things? You know, yeah. or less less assured. What are the things that are going to create that assurance? Again, going yeah. back, because if you don't feel that assurance in a Disney theme park, then why bother going? Right. And yet, without these things, you may not feel that assurance. So it's that tipping point of getting to that new that new place that is really a dance that Disney has to do. Um, I want to also mention that. Uh, we don't do this at the park entrance. We do this in like checking into the, into, um, in, onto the Disney Cruise Line. You have to present your, your visa uh, or passport. Um, what kind of government ID are you going to have to present potentially moving forward? Because well, I think what's going to happen is I, I've heard one person explain it. I thought it was a good example. I, maybe it was another blog post. Um, but it was... The idea that probably in the future it's not going to be so much a global pandemic, but rather a more regional pandemic breaking out in certain areas and certain locations that are going to have to go back to a lockdown. And so if and when that happens, will some particular country not be welcomed on board that cruise ship or that Disney hotel or even into a Disney park? And so will you need to show an ID? I mean, I show an ID to, to get into parking. Right. Well, and, you know, I am, you know, thinking about this and I might call an audible and kind of remove the order from the planned agenda. But I think we brought up a couple of points that are that really get to the heart of if you think about you and I have talked many times and you do in your writings 
talk about kind of the experience from the second you set foot on property and how important that is. So if you start at the resorts and you figure that a large majority of the people that visit, I mean, those resorts, you know, 30 hotels or so, um, if you go to, and if, if, you've, if none of you have ever traveled to a foreign Disney park uh, in Hong Kong, Shanghai, and Tokyo anyway, you have to give your passport when you check in and they all scan it. They all take a scan. But so I think about things like, okay, so you're checking in to that, um, you know, to the resort. What do they require of you? I start to think as somewhat of a germaphobe, how, do, how am I going to be assured that they've thoroughly cleaned that hotel room? from the people before me and you know what happens in that process are there later check-in times are there earlier checkout times now it's 11 a.m checkout 3 p.m check-in is it possible and i wouldn't be opposed if they said you've got to be out by nine and you can't check in till five to give that staff extra time to wow. be able to even if it's not necessarily a you know, we have to get it done. If it comes back to that reassurance, if they say the reason we're doing this and moving check-in and check-out time back two hours each is to give our housekeeping staff the the ability, the extra time to make sure that everything is, um, you know, everything is 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 clean to CDC standards or whatever. Well, and and uh, could Disney say to its best neighbor hotels or to any hotels? If you're staying off property, you have to be doing these kinds of things to to stay clean, so to speak. Otherwise, we won't admit your hotel guests into our parks. Well, but there's no. I mean, if it, but then you think about how far off does that go? What do you do with Airbnbs, and what do you do with timeshares, and what do you do with somebody that says, you know, I'm going to stay over by Port Canaveral after I get off of another cruise ship, and then I go over. I mean, again, the the, the, the ripple effects of, of skipping that stone um, become, I think, very, very problematic uh, and just very complex. I mean, you and I discussed, Jeff, within a couple of days of this all starting, that both of us, and if I'm speaking out of turn, I apologize, but I think that both of us could foresee it being very easy that they don't open up all of the resorts when they open back up. Yeah, I do see like, that. Like I would think, for example, a resort like Yacht and Beach that are connected, that you can service two hotels from one main desk. I wonder if maybe they open up one or the other when they first start. Or All-Stars, let's only open up one or two of the All-Stars. It's very easy for them within a couple of days to really open something up again if they need it. But if you think about all the different resorts and the number of cast members that it takes to staff all of those resorts 24 hours a day, especially in the meat of the day, um, I, I think that gets to be... I think that gets to be very complicated. I think you could see, you know, um, Kidani Village uh, that very rarely seems full. I think you could see that shut down for a while. Um, like after September 11th, they stopped uh, construction on Pop Century because there yeah. just wasn't the demand for it. And it took a couple of years. My wife and I were supposed to stay at Pop Century on our honeymoon um, and ended up getting moved to uh, the romantic chateau of all-star movies in the Mighty Ducks building. <laughs> Um, because of everything that had, that had happened, and so Which I think still that, elicits romantic. Oh when yes, you visit. Nothing, nothing like spending your your honeymoon by walking into a building with a hockey mask. Um, so, but I mean, really, I think the bottom line or the 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 undercurrent here needs to be that this is not going to be Disney as we remember it. I don't know if it will ever be or how long it will be till that happens, but I want to make sure that. 
I don't want anybody to get lulled into a false sense of, oh, they're just going to open back up and parks are going to be empty and it's going to be great. It's going to be different. It has to be different until things can get figured out on a more permanent basis and then we can get back to whatever our new normal is. But I think that starts with the resorts because then you think about how do you get to the parks? The perk of staying at a non-property resort is the transportation. What well, do you do about those buses? Again, what is what is back to normal? Back right. getting a right. vaccine that works, and then you know you end up showing your vaccination papers, yeah, and or having some kind of, you know, some kind of medication for when you get it to keep you, you know, from getting further sick. So, so those are some some issues. Before we leave the park entrance, I think there's one one more thing we got to talk about, and that is the touch point systems those puppies gotta go yeah um i don't think they're reliable when you clean them between between guests entering i don't know why they can't do something comparable to what you do when you enter the parking lot of presenting an id um and presenting your ticket um so i think there's a there's there's a that's probably one of the big issues Disney has to deal with in terms of getting guests into the parks again. Yeah, no, I, I think I was actually surprised. I think I told you privately that because I was in the parks uh, as late as March 11th. Yeah. And they shut them. They made the announcement that they were closing. You know, closing was effective. Like, so that was a Wednesday. Um, closing was effective that following Monday. And even up until that Wednesday, they were not. There were some pictures making their way around the internet that they were um, sanitizing and wiping down the touch points in, after each user. That did not happen a single time that I was in a park, and I was in the parks for eight or nine days. Um, and so I, I, see, I thought that I did time. observe that in the last days. I also observed on the last two days, I believe, where they just simply waved it. And just okay. Let in. And that's and that's probably the smartest. I mean, yes, I realize there's a potential of lost income for them because that's why they do something like that right is so i can't right. go online and and buy a seven day ticket and then get on ebay sell you the magic band ship it next day and then you get to use the other three days for much cheaper uh, i mean that's right. really why those things are there and so i think that they may just have to eat some of that financial loss in the the early months to avoid um i mean a potential no better way to spread stuff than the thing they tell you not to touch your face with your fingers so let me back up to before you get to the parks and say, what about resort transportation services? Do you only, you know, do you crowd that monorail or do you only allow people who are seated? Do you do some kind of social distancing on the boats? Is there only one party per Skyliner? Are you cleaning between Skyliner, you know, as the, as the thing goes around? No. Uh, do you have one party per tram row? Are you cleaning? Now, I, you know, the whole idea of cleaning seats between rides sounds crazy and terrible. But, David, another picture I'm posting, and we talked, for those who haven't listened to our Tokyo Disneyland podcast, we talked about uh, our love of the Beaver Brothers canoes um, at Tokyo Disneyland. And I am posting a picture of them cleaning the canoes between, they wipe down the seats between uh, between canoe trips. And um, I think in that spirit, that's the kind of thing uh, that's that's going to have to be done. In fact, I kind of kiddingly said to you, David, I think 
I think the, the what Disney what the Disney parks are going to have to do in order to be maintain that kind of level of sanitary experience is to is start cleaning them like Tokyo Disney does. Yeah. They, Tokyo does take care of their parks. So that to, Disney long left the business of hosing down their streets every day. And I suppose that's a lot to do with water conservation. You know, it took a lot of water to hose down those streets, but you've got to you've got to really clean parks, you know, at least every night. You know, we talk about stores that are now closing down and, and going through sanitary procedures at night before they reopen the next day. What is Disney's commitment to to better doing that? And and here with the resort transportation services, how do we create enough distance between riders and then how do we, you know, kind of clean things up between between rides? Well, and I think that there's a lot of things, again, what dominoes that knocks down. That's one of the reasons I think that there may be that if I were calling the shots, I would give strong consideration towards um, shuttering the doors to a couple of resorts because then I don't know how many buses service a resort in a day. But then you get that bus fleet to then if you only if you you know take Yacht Club and Beach Club and you shut the you shut down Yacht Club and keep Beach Club open, then you can move the buses that would typically have to stop there. Like, you know, basically you get a couple more buses back into inventory. If you're only doing one all star resort open at the outset, you get all those buses that would typically service music and and sports to get to send somewhere else. You can keep people a couple rows in between. But here's what I think the ultimate problem becomes with that, Jeff, is you can set those restrictions, but that's a lot on those cast members to have to enforce. Um, that's a, that's trusting a lot that people are going to follow those restrictions. Um, I mean, you probably haven't been on a bus in a while, but sometimes that's the wild, wild west. It really is. Um, no, I go of, on buses. I go yeah. on buses. And I can appreciate that, especially at the end of the day when everybody's tired and they want to get back to. Uh-huh. Um, we're often taking buses from the Magic Kingdom back to the TTC. Oh, okay. The monorails okay. are so crowded. But yeah. I totally get this. But I think another thing that's going to be asked is I think there's going to put be put some onus. And Disney does this so cleverly. They'll give people the wipes and say, wipe your own down as you get on board. Yeah. And, you know, and then, you know, uh, hand us your wipes or there'll be trash receptacles more available as you get off to dump them, you know. So I see probably things like that that Disney employs in order to move people through mm-hmm. um, a little quicker. So, and then, you know, it becomes, well, if you didn't wipe it down, then, you know, that's your fault, kind of. You know, so they're going to probably put a little bit of onus, I think, on guests. I think there'll be more minivan, sir. I think there'll be more families who don't want that. And they're going to want to, they're going to want to Uber. They're going to want a minivan. They're going to want that wipe down before they go. Things like that. I think more people are going to be walking from that yacht and beach club, you Mm -hmm. know, over to the studios and over to um, Epcot. You know things of that nature. So, well, and it, it it may simply just be, and that's a good point. It may simply just be they remove some of the, um, they remove some of the transportation options. For example, right now there are park to park buses that you can get from the Magic Kingdom to the studios or from Animal Kingdom to Epcot. 
I wonder if they get rid of those and say, if you're going to go to another park, you need to transfer at a resort. Um, yes, it adds a little extra time, but that's how it is. And if they say, we are no longer offering buses from Yacht Beach Club and the Boardwalk to Epcot, you either need to take the boat or you need to walk. And you might have some people for whatever reasons, you know, for, for certain needs, um, mobility-wise or something like that, that may be a deal breaker. But then they just move them to a different resort if necessary. Um, but I think some of those things might become... It's, you know, let's remove those. A Skyliner, I think that's a total, that's a no-brainer, to be honest. That's where I'd want to be. If I were going yeah. back right when this opened, I'd want to be on a Skyliner resort because, yeah, you put one family in a cab, um, and that seems to be the easiest. You can easily separate those. It might take you a little longer to get on, but you and I both know that it's not really a long wait other yeah. than other than at the Riviera, where you've got a, you're getting people that don't get off in order to continue on really you're not waiting a long time with as smooth as those things are running now so i don't i mean that that would be that or an epcot resort or a magic kingdom resort where i could just walk to the magic kingdom but that only really does that for one park right so you're still um you're still going to struggle for the other ones but no those are all and that's why we say this is a much more complicated decision it's more complex i guess i'll say than just deciding yes we want to open yes we want to get people back in the parks Think about all these things that we've discussed, and we haven't even actually talked about going on rides yet. Yeah, so let's go there. Let's go to the parks. Um, obviously, there's going to need to be a requirement of some social distancing in switchback queues um, in pre-show areas. I can see where maybe they don't even allow very many people in the pre-show area. Uh, they hold people outside and then fill in the theater, but I think... I think that the idea of crowding people into a pre-show area is not going to go. I do think that a, a facility like the Hall of Presidents, you could take out every other row mm -hmm. and invite guests to sit, put two chairs between they and the, you know, the next party in their party. I think you could still fit a lot of people in that theater. Um, and so I think there are some things like that you could do in theaters. I think probably individual families in in rows maybe even only three rows used in small world or pirates as opposed to all five or six rows um i do think there will be no starting out out of the gate i think there will be no castle shows parades or fireworks i completely agree i think that's a that's just a a mess waiting to happen that i don't think they want to deal with the what ifs I think, yeah, part of it is that crowding and getting next to people and that can potential for contamination. I think it's also partly because some of those shows, experiences involve mass characters and uh, we want to say those who are friends of certain Disney characters need to have their own mask. They can't be, have their own costume, so to speak, can't share that costume with another. So I think that, I, I think the meet and greet experience is going to have to look a little different if it's going to occur at all um i think that uh there'll be uh, a greater use of boarding groups like we saw with rise of the resistance or yeah. i think you were talking about like a fast pass only possibility mm -hmm. um i think uh and i do think that there's going to be modified or eliminated special ticket experiences i mean would you go to mickey's not so scary halloween party if there's no fireworks and no parade and yeah. are you really going to hand out 
trick-or-treat candy to everyone. The marathon, there's already been a notice that, hey, get back with us. We're still working on this. But I, you know, if you're in a marathon, they, they launch 100 people at a time. And I was in my last marathon. There was issues around a, a, a lightning strike in the area and so they just launched everybody at one time on a it was just a 5k but because it was a 5k it everybody was it was just a mass crowd the entire 5k it was just a mass crowd the entire time and i don't see how that's going to work you're going to have to separate people out you know in a, in a much more distant way uh wild africa trek you know you're you're you know, on a ropes course kind of experience, I, I don't quite seeing that. Those well, and from a company from from a company perspective, those have to be the discouraging things. Is you they've got to realize those things have to end, but at the same time, those are the things that make extra income on top. You know, as additional experiences, the the after hours events, the Halloween parties, the Christmas parties, the Wild Africa Trek. And so those have to be the things that are, because uh, I'm not saying it makes a massive, massive, massive amount of money, but that's all extra profit that you're not really having to, to hire a bunch of extra people for and for this company to be able to, to, to rehire you know, all the cast members that have been furloughed and bring them back on and, and do all that stuff. Yeah, no, I think that's difficult. I think that doing, using FastPass to your advantage and only having FastPass, I think, makes it a lot easier uh, it makes it a lot messier, but I think it makes social distancing a lot easier if, for example, you typically, if the Disney system typically gives out, and I'm purely just making up these numbers, if they give out uh, a thousand fast passes for Soren an hour, maybe it goes down to 400, right? And then they just do that throughout the day, and it's only fast pass, and then they can control those um, I think they're going to need more cast members, maybe on a normal shift. You talked about the Hall of Presidents, right? Maybe if they do that, not only do you take out rows, but maybe you have people seating folks, kind of like you would going to a Broadway show of, okay, we're going to bring you down, not just pick your spot and walk all the way down and leave a couple spaces in between, but maybe actually cast members walking you and saying, please head down to the row and take the first three open seats. And then, you know, they have those like a like those cloth seat covers that kind of drop over the seats if they're if they're not functioning, um, maybe something like that would would be ideal. It's a lot of things to consider. They've got to be having yeah. round the clock discussions. Yeah, no question. They they got to be um, um, anxious about a number of things here that are going on. Uh, food and beverage. I I see mobile ordering. Uh, I see one queue for guests in line. And the rest all being mobile order pickup and you have to check in at the front of the restaurant to um you know to be uh to to show them you're ready to pick up your order uh, or that the order is ready for pickup um i also see a, a situation both retail and food and beverage where how can we do less of the cash thing handing cash is not a good um Handy cash is not a great thing here. And so how do we, you know, how do we do for that? Um, distancing chairs and tables. Um, removing buffets or dishing services by cast members. Uh, I, I think the buffets, 
you know, uh, well, already the Disney Cruise Line was having cast members dish things up at the buffet. Maybe yeah. that's that's the reality. I do think that wiping down chairs and tables before occupying them is a definite. And Disney had already, uh, apparently, according to several uh, websites, Disney had already increased food prices over the last couple of weeks. Substantial yeah. food prices yeah. increased, maybe in anticipation of this, but notwithstanding, you know, clearly something's happening. What are your thoughts on all this? Well, so I think one of the things that becomes um, interesting in that, and I think this would be very easy to do, is I think that what, with buffets, I actually think that answer is one of the easiest we've discussed so far. I think you just switch buffets completely to a family style. So, for example, um, there's typically three different types of meal services at sit-down locations at Disney. There's um, a la carte where you know a server comes, you look at the menu, you order your meal, server brings it to your table. There are buffets, which is what you know is a buffet. You walk up and just get your own food. But then there's quite a few family-style restaurants, uh, like Ohana, uh, where they bring the food. Uh, Garden Grill is an example of another one, Liberty Tree Tavern for dinner, where they just bring you a, all right, here's your plate of mashed potatoes. Here's your, you know, your plate of strip steak. Here's your plate of mac and cheese. And you can order as much as you want. If your family goes through the huge thing of mac and cheese, then they bring you another one. If you go yeah. through your, you know, if you go through your uh, salad, then they bring you another one. That way, they can still have the buffet open for cast members to get the food from, but then it just comes to your table. And I think that's how they can continue to, to come as close to having a comparable experience for those. So I actually think that buffets are the are the easiest. Um, the easiest ones to, to deal with. And then everything people use your silverware, you put in one of the, you know, one of those Hobart high pressure, high temperature, you know, things that just cleans those puppies and, and sanitizes them at 9,000 degrees or whatever. Uh, those I think actually become an easy decision. It's some of the other ones like the quick service locations where everybody's kind of grabbing their own stuff. Make no mistake. The Fixins bar that is the thing of legend at Pecos Bills in the Magic Kingdom <laughs> will will be no more for the foreseeable future because that's just a yeah. that that's just a breeding ground for disaster right there. And not yeah. it's not that anything's anybody's doing anything extremely irresponsible. It's just that well, I'm grabbing this, I'm grabbing these tongs, I'm using them over here, and you know I may um, wipe my nose and my sleeve just because I'm cold or I, who knows what. I just think that that's your. You've, you've got to remove as many potential troublemaking situations as possible. And I think stuff like that would be would be an example of, of one of those. Yeah, I think at least, if nothing else, it's going to be more Chipotle style where, where they're going yeah. to put it on your yeah. thing, not, not you. Um, right. Retail-wise, um, already retail stores, major retail stores around here are uh, creating uh, queues outside the store. I just don't see everybody packing the Emporium at the end of the day. I no. think there's going to be a number of how many people are in store at a given time. Um, Disney was already redoing their um, their their uh, point of sale systems. Um, you know, the whole green light uh, goes off three times, and then you then you um, uh, run your your card. Mm -hmm. um, that was craziness and they finally have, had created systems where you could insert your card which is certainly better but I think I think more systems that allow you like Apple Watch 
and I why there is not the ability to really use an Apple there Apple Watch has not been yeah Apple Watch has been available at Disney parks hasn't it I'm not sure. Uh, I, I think it's just been a while since I've I've used it. But having more systems like that, where you can avoid having to touch shared, you know, uh, point of sale systems, um, and you know that type of thing. I also think that retail is going to uh, I look for Disney clever Disney face masks. Um, mine is uh, my face mask is Incredibles. And uh, we have a Beauty and the Beast version in our home, too. So I see Disney face masks uh, the way they used to sell Disney gas masks back in the 1950s. So um, Tokyo actually already does that. You can buy um, either Tokyo or Shanghai. You can buy the real small surgical looking masks, but it's a character and it looks like that character's mouth. So since it's oh, where your cool. mouth is, it would look like that. You know, I actually think for merchandise... You already brought up a point that could be transferable there. I think they shift a lot of the of the sales push to the Shop Disney portion of the app, right? That it's very, very simple. If you go in and look at merchandise, for them to just say, I mean, how difficult would it be for basically you to scan everything you wanted, put it in a cart on your, on your phone, and then just have it direct shipped to your house instead of having to get in line? Now, they're going to have to make a lot more available to ship. But if it's that or losing all of that money on merch, I, I would assume they would make the decision to go online. But I think you have a mobile option for this, right? That's one of the there benefits are, and yeah, you know, one of the benefits of having this. Yeah, there are wonderful technology systems for retail that could be implemented here. And, you know, Bob Iger talks about working with a reduced staffing. Um, Disney parks are not, you can only reduce your staffing so much. But the, here's a place where, you know, the less point of sale you know the less people it takes to run point of sale um, transactions is a great place to reduce some of that headcount um, in trying to run a, a leaner uh, tidier Disney vice versa I think you're gonna need more people cleaning the restrooms because I wouldn't want to use a restroom unless it was disinfected first um, meaning a toilet stall um, so, or are they going to, again, create self-disinfecting expectations where you have to wipe down that seat before it's used? You know, it, it's, I just think, and, and queuing into the restrooms themselves, you know? Yeah. Uh, you know, you're being assigned, uh, uh, someplace to go as opposed to just going where you want to. Um, I, again... These are kinds of things where you have to stop and say, okay, is this the Disney I really want to go to? Where I have to, you know, uh, deal with a disinfected toilet before I go. But, but in all truth, you, you know, these can't be places where you breed problems. So they have to be attended to. Um, well, and I think this is one of those areas where having lower levels of crowds, which I would have to think there will be, I would be surprised if there's not, whenever they reopen, works to their advantage. Maybe not financially, but if you only have half of the normal people you would in your parks, it's going to be a lot easier to figure a bunch of this stuff out than if you had normal summer capacity crowds. Um, and so, you know, I, I think that will work in their favor. Yeah. I'd like to jump a little further down through our agenda, David, and just get to when will Disney reopen? Um, 
I, I think everybody would love a potential date. I, I don't pretend to have one. I, I think nope. people saw the June 1st as a possibility because they were they were accepting reservations past that, but we don't know that that's a firm date. I do think that there are five, what I've outlined is five potential dates. One, a date which is a soft opening with post-pandemic requirements. Second, a full opening with post-pandemic requirements. So we begin with opening some part of Walt Disney World, and then we get to the final place where we're fully opened as a, you know, all resorts, all parks, all offerings. And then there's the full opening with removed post-pandemic requirements. We've gotten to a place where there is a guaranteed vaccine, um, ways to treat ill patients, ways to keep it from you know, spreading quickly. That I think is that place which is closer to um, life a little bit more than a, a, a little more like we enjoyed life before. Not completely, but more like we enjoyed life before. And then I think there's going to be these periodic pandemic outbreaks um, and closings from time to time, um, particularly if they affect our region. And then there's the potential date of Walt Disney World's 50th anniversary. Now, Disney does a wonderful job of, of using... 18 months to for a 12-month celebration <laughs> you know they they had this elasticity and they had not outlined or announced when the 50th was going to begin that could have been that could have been this october as they go into their 49th and saying from here to the 50th or you know or through the 50th it could be a two-year period it could be a five-year period that they celebrate the 50th they may not celebrate, start celebrating the 50th until the day of the 50th. That's not usually when they start celebrating an anniversary. Uh, usually they want to start before. So I had seen probably they're starting somewhere in January to celebrate uh, the first of the year for celebrating the 50th. But will that happen? So I think these are all um, interesting dates for you know when Disney will reopen and what that looks like thoughts on that david yeah i mean there's no way and this is uh you know daily emails from clients what do i think i don't know what i think i think everything i every time i read something different i would i would say i wonder if this is the date and that keeps changing i mean i think i shared this story before but if not i was in the parks on from march 3rd to march 11th um right before everything kind of changed and within that week it was just an absolutely crazy turnaround from people were sanitizing a little more and things were okay and there wasn't a big deal to starting to hear murmuring that the parks might close and at that time it was let's close for a couple of weeks and now you know here we are I mean that it's, it's been a month um, and so I, I anybody who says they know is is probably just guessing not probably are just guessing I don't even know that the executives know so it's one of those things that every day, I mean, read read whatever news site you decide that you subscribe to, and every single day there are new developments that we're learning more, learning more about what's effective, learning more about what's not effective, and learning more about how this thing behaves. And so I think that, you know, they I don't think they're going to make any quick decisions because as much as we want them to open, 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 if they open too quickly and rushed and things aren't in place and there's an outbreak that is able to be 
to name a Disney park as the epicenter, there is nothing worse for publicity that could happen. I mean, really. Yeah. So I think it is possible to say, what are the conditions and qualifications for reopening? I think those will be the signs that tell us when that when that actual date occurs. And I think the first thing is having data that says, hey, less people are getting it, less people are dying from it, and the spread of it is greatly reduced. Unless we see that data, the other things won't matter. But it is important that you have national, state, and county support because Disney could say they want to reopen, but if they don't have the support of those entities, it's pretty hard to reopen. You have a staffing availability. We know that many, and and I, I see this as, as, I think people felt like the college program kids going home was a big reduction. I don't think that's going to impact as much as the international um, interns that were here. How do you run Italy or China or Japan at Epcot? Everybody wants to go back to World Showcase. How are you going to run that without anybody from those countries? And so that availability, that's a big, that's a big question mark to me. Supporting partners. If you're if if MCO doesn't support reopening, if TSA doesn't support reopening, if area hotels aren't able to reopen, it's pretty hard to to get reopened. It, it's pretty hard to reopen if you don't have the supplies and resources, food and beverage. Um, uh, if you know everybody used to take these little amenities I'm so guilty of taking the the uh, skin conditioner and the soaps out of the Disney cruise ships you know and because I love that smell of, of some of those products uh, but they just take me back to the cruise line I could see everybody taking a roll of toilet paper out of their hotel room as a yeah. souvenir from their stay well you gotta have enough you know toilet paper to to run a hotel um and then, well, and I don't know if you saw, but the recent numbers were just released. Um, we're recording this on on in the middle of April, but uh, well, on Tuesday, on Tuesday, um, April fourteenth, uh, which is and right before the president has really announced his intention for reopening the country, right? They uh, but they announced a couple days ago. The last numbers I saw, anyway, were that. Um, travel or you know visitors into and out of Orlando International was down 97 percent I mean that's that that number almost doesn't seem real um, and, and and so yeah it's just so the uh, Walmart I shop at when I have to go into a store is is in the tourist area off of 535 and I go there because um, it's it's so crowded by tourists, but because there's no tourists, <laughs> it's it's quite it's quiet. I mean, you could be in certain parts of that store and there's nobody. Um, but the ones who are there are interestingly from Latin America. Um, hmm. Many of them are Brazilian uh, or are Latina, and of course that hasn't really hit them, impacted them there. But what happens when it does? Are we limiting that? So guest demand is also a part of when you know, the, the, the parks reopen. If you don't have people thinking this is a good idea to reopen, it doesn't matter if Disney thinks it. It's whether right. there's that goodwill. Among, it, it's a culturally acceptable to reopen at that point. Yeah. 
Then you ask the question, well, who's going to be visiting? Um, first, Disney has done a brilliant job of going back to hotel guests who had reservations and saying, hey, rebook between, what is it, June 1st and the end of September or the end of August? June 1st through September 30th. Come back during that time. We'll rebook your trip for the amount you booked it at. And by the way, we'll add free food. Um, so that was brilliant. Well, what, well what, the, what they're actually doing, what they're actually doing is, is if you had a reservation affected during April and May, yeah, you get free dining. You don't get your rate matched. It is whatever the cost would be, because obviously, and, and uh, in fact, uh, for a lot of people, it's cheaper because if you move your mm. trip to September versus the middle of July, it might be cheaper. But basically, you pay whatever that date would have been. It's just that you're eligible for for a for a free dining plan, the type of which depends on which resort you're staying at. Well, I, so thank you for for clarifying that because I think this is important to say. How many people are going to be in the parks when this thing reopens? I think usually summer has over the last number of years been very soft. I think this is going to be one of Disney's strongest summers if they can open by summer. That's a question whether they can open. But if they could, I think the fact that you're moving all those April, May into summer is huge. Also, you have your DVC folks with their reservations. They're almost a guarantee. You'll have new on-property reservations, people who were going to come in summer anyway. Off-property guests, sure. Annual pass holders, definitely. I am one of those annual pass holders who's ready to go. But if you remember, most annual pass holders, the lower tiers, are blocked out for about two months during summer. So will Disney give them the option of coming back and visiting during the summer? Or are they going to hold true to those to those uh, blockout times? If they give them into the blockout times, then those who who paid more, you know, to be able to attend during that block time, then they're going like, well, why did I have to pay so much when you're giving people? So these are issues that Disney's have to deal with. And then the international. I think it's going to be very difficult to bring back the international guests. And, oh, by the way, we haven't talked about, I was going to talk about earlier, convention. Conventions aren't solid in the summertime, but they are huge, huge parts of that total Disney um, intake. And so when you take out international guests <coughs> and your convention guests, at times of the year, that can be 25 to 30% of your take. Of who well, and not park. just conventions. Not, you you bring that up, and I hadn't even thought of that. You also think about all of the, the, the youth-type school groups, oh, your, ban- yeah. your bands, your cheerleading, your Pop Warner football, all those kind of things. Schools aren't going to be sending you know, their, their marching bands to Disney. I mean, that's not going to be happening at least not, I mean, I would not, they're, they're not open in June, obviously. Um, but once the things get back up in the fall, how comfortable are things where schools of younger kids, you know, high schoolers, middle schoolers, when do they, when does that market start, start rejuvenating? So here's how we're going to know, which I think this is how we're going to know what this is going to look like. Disney is waiting to read the tea leaves from the three Asia parks when they reopen. They are going to open, in my opinion, before our parks open. I could be wrong on that, but I think I think that Disney is going to. I think the the 
the expectation, the bar, is not going to be set by Disney so much as it is going to be set by the Orlando, or I'm sorry, the Oriental Land Company, who owns and runs Tokyo Disney, who maintains a higher bar. I think they're going to set the bar, and I think everybody's going to follow after that. If they don't follow after that, then they're going to be accused of not following after that. And so I think, I, and now, does OLC want to be the first ones to open? I'm not sure about that. They're dying to open because they've got the Beauty and the Beast attraction. The big, big, their biggest, well, one of their biggest um, additions ever to their park, um, if not the biggest. And so they're dying to open, but they want to open smart. And they are not going to open before the will of the people, before it's culturally accepted to, to reopen. Right. And so I think, I think we're looking at the Asian parks to open first. Could that happen in mid-May? Maybe. Maybe. I mean, there are some very big improvements that have happened in China and, and so forth. Their, you know, their curves are going down. Will, will After that, will Disneyland or Walt Disney World, which one will open first? Will they open simultaneously? I don't know. Uh, do you have a thought on that, David? I, no, I... I don't, and and this is where whenever anybody talks about how long will it be, if you're trying to look at, right, we don't have a precedent for this, right? And that's, I think, what everybody, hopefully everybody understands is nobody knows because nobody knows because we've never seen this. Um, what I do think is interesting is the fact that uh, Shanghai Disneyland closed, I believe it was January 25th, is that right? Or somewhere about around there, time. the last mm -hmm. week, the, the, the last week of January. And as of today, they are still not open. They've opened some portions of Disney Town, um, but they are still not open. And so that's been, you know, two and a half months, and they are nowhere near the size of of the United States parks. Um, and so I think that has to be taken into consideration. Um, now, at the same time, that kind of caught China by surprise. And so on some level, and so at least now we had a little bit of a head start and I would, I can't imagine that operations was not um, starting to already consider in, in late January, hey, what if this gets here, what do we do? So I'm sure they were a little bit ahead of the game on that. So I'm not saying you have to say, well, Shanghai was three months, so so will the American parks. I'm not suggesting that, I'm just... This is not going to be a, when they had first announced initially, I think like April 15th or whatever it was, I, I, I think a bunch of us in the know knew that was going to be really hard to happen. Um, and so, yeah. yeah, you don't, this is a decision that you can't, they can't afford from a perception issue and from a national health issue, from a national health perspective, they can't afford to get this one wrong. And so. Yeah. Um, you don't want it, the bad it, press from it. You absolutely do not. Um, you don't. You don't want to be the. You don't want to be the poster child for for reopening prematurely. Um, right. So and and uh, I think it was yesterday or the day before there was an announcement Disneyland Paris would not open before what was it first of July or mid July. Well, so basically that article was a little bit interesting. What it basically said was is Disneyland Paris was removing. Um, uh, was canceling some of their summer events. And okay. so if okay. you follow so the logic... that as being... Correct. So if you follow the logic that 
they're canceling those summer events, so it's very possible they might not even be open then. But they have officially not set anything past. They've kind of left it open-ended, if I, if I remember correctly, of until further notice, which is obviously what the what the Florida parks have done. I mean, the Florida parks have started taking bookings after June 1st, but they haven't said they're going to be open June 1st. Yeah. They were just saying, we're basically covering and letting you move around reservations through the end of May. All we officially know, if you're going by certainty and official, the only thing we know is that through April 18th is how long they are paying cast members um, normally and then after that a whole bunch of furlough processes start so we can assume that the uh, you know they wouldn't open before April 18th and I would obviously assume yeah, it's probably going to be June June 1st but but to be completely fair unless know. anyone say that we're speaking out of turn we don't we don't officially know anything past April 18th now, in terms of the the order in which things might open at Walt Disney World uh, I could see Disney Springs in the same way that Disney Town opened for Shanghai first okay um, i see that as a possibility but i think there's got to be some real changes first of all somebody out disney springs why are you not offering some kind of queue where we could order online your wonderful food from the homecoming and from david's favorite deluxe burger and just run by and pick this up so no, why deluxe is that burgers no longer deluxe burger is no longer my favorite restaurant at disney uh, springs i now would now? go to a I would now go to Pizza Ponte, the quick service okay. pizza location. Yeah. It's the it's fantastic. But but yeah, right, yeah. Why don't they have Where something? Where is the go through make that parking lot garage a drive through and just start picking up the food people and get some people employed over there because I know a lot of people in this town would love love them some Disney Spring food. And uh, so I think that's a possibility. I don't think the resorts would be way ahead of the parks. I people have said I think they're going to open well, you know, will they only open one or two parks? I think they'll open all four parks because I think people who come for a vacation at Walt Disney World expect all four parks. What I do think is that the offering at those parks will be dramatically different, i.e. less street entertainment, character entertainment, that type of thing. Mm -hmm. No fireworks. And I also think there is still a possibility getting out the gate that it could be, okay, Magic Kingdom Studios, you're open every day. Epcot, you and Animal Kingdom, you're open every other day. And yeah. there could be that kind of thing going on. Well, and I also think you'll see shorter hours. Um, you know, I don't, I don't, I, I would, I would assume Maybe, that long gone are the days of. I don't know 7 why, though. Openings. I don't know why they would. And, well, they might from, a, from an overhead point of view do that. But right. honestly, if you're trying to stretch out the number, if you got, you can only put so many people on Pirates or on. You know, Winnie yeah. the Pooh. You got to stretch your hours to allow more people on those rides. So, so there's That's a true. there's a part of me that says, if anything, you got to you got to stretch out. And I don't think you're going to be doing a lot of these after hour kind of events. No, no, because no, no. they focus a lot on on things that you know that you just can't be doing. Now the water parks. That's an interesting thing, because the water parks. Uh, you know, you don't you can't transmit the virus. In, in pool water. There's no evidence to su suggest that. So in that regard, they're really kind of healthier places. But again, you can't be, you can't be, you know, uh, you know, you get into Typhoon Lagoon's wave pool and, you know, you're only a foot or two away from everybody. So it gets to be kind of a crowd scene. So those are tricky places just in terms of, you know, putting that distance between people. 
Mm-hmm. So that's a whole riddle in them of themselves. I definitely don't think that more than one water park will open for an, for maybe even the whole season. Uh, I could see them maybe alternating the water parks, but I don't think there'll be more than one water park a day open. And then the cruise line, by the way, it was was it nine eleven that ultimately yeah brought down River Country. So. I think both parks will make it through, but I don't think they're going to both be open at the same time in the for, quick foreseeable future. And then the cruise line. That, uh, that's a tricky one. Um, nobody, nobody does a better job of keeping things clean than Disney Cruise Line. But you have a lot of variables. You know, if you, if you have issues about reopening a water park, why don't you have an issue? You've surely got issues reopening Castaway Key. And then you get into, you know, your, the assumption that when you go to some of these places that the virus is gone. So, yeah. you know, what is the sanitation level? You know, how contaminated could you get in Nassau or, you know, in, in some of these Caribbean islands or, you know, going back to Alaska or now Europe? Uh, I, I, question, I question European trips all through the summer it's that's a big question mark doesn't mean it won't happen but boy they've got some challenges to make that happen um to make that a reality especially when so many of them are based on italian itineraries right so lots of questions in terms of that any other any other thoughts on all that no, I just think it's it's probably good for us to note because I think whenever we have discussions like this or in this subject, if I'm chatting with some people casually, then you'll have somebody say, don't be so negative. We expect some, you know, it, it, it's better to be optimistic. I'm not at all saying I'm not optimistic. I think we're just both trying to be realistic about what this actually means. And I think if anybody was going to suggest that when things open, it's just going to be like they were closed down overnight and everything is normal again. Um, I, I, I don't think that's accurate. And yeah. so I think hopefully what we've been able to do is provide some context for people that are Disney fans that may not think about all of the things that go into running a park where it's not as simple as saying, let's just open the gates and let's do it. Um, that I think we're just trying to be realistic and provide clear expectations of all of the different decisions that need to be made about all of the different variables that are in play when you're running a massive operation like these theme parks are. And I'm entirely optimistic. I would love for the idea to say, maybe this summer my family gets to drive down and go. I mean, I would. that's fantastic. I would love nothing more. I also don't want to be naive and say, Yep, that's absolutely going to happen because there's yeah. a good possibility it doesn't. Um, so hopefully, uh, you know, people listening can at least appreciate the different insights that have been given and to all the different things that have to be considered before uh, they open those turnstiles again. We are optimists, but we but we have to be practical about that, our optimism and 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 to recognize that these are the issues, these are the challenges that the Walt Disney Company is dealing with right now. I do want to end with this, why it matters. It, it does matter that they open. It's so important that at some point they reopen. First, in one way, um, but lesser important of all three, uh, there's a bottom line to Disney. Disney is bleeding 
Um, I think I saw the number 35 million a day um, from not being open. This is huge to Disney's bottom line. They've never had anything of this magnitude. So it's really important to Disney's bottom line that they reopen as soon as practically as they are practically able to. The second is there is a bottom line impact to tourism. Globally with Disney parks, I know from this area, you think about the number of people. And Disney, Walt Disney World is the largest single site employer. We're talking about 77,000 people without a job in this town. And that doesn't include Universal. And that doesn't include SeaWorld. And that doesn't include every hotel outside of those parks. And all of those restaurants. We are talking about a very big community that is impacted by tourism. Um, it's, it's really important that this happen at the right time in the best way possible. Um, and then third, I think it matters to this free decor of our nation and of the world at whole. There was a great little, if you'd seen the Imagineering series that was played out at Disney Plus, there's a great segment that talks about the, um, earthquake and tsunami that occurred with Tokyo and how it closed the park for several months and how they, the people struggled. It wasn't like, as, as was explained, it's not like 9-11 where, you know, you got the president up front and say, hey, we're open for business again. They, there wasn't anybody to really do that. And finally, Disney had to, to make a very courageous decision to open. And it wasn't about just opening their park. It was about saying to the people in Japan, it's okay. It's okay. We can go on with our lives. We can keep moving forward. I think that is the symbol of Disney to the world over. I certainly know that it is in my town here in Orlando. And I think there are a lot, millions and millions of people, not just tourists who love to go to Disney, but people who don't even go to Disney, who realize that opening the doors to these beautiful, beautiful parks is the beginning of moving forward and moving onward and, and, uh, and, and, and starting anew. Thank you, David. Appreciate you joining us for this podcast. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for this Disney at Work and Play podcast. If you're listening to us, you undoubtedly have a love of all things Disney. So we appreciate you taking the time to uh, take a look at both of our websites, both DisneyAtPlay.com, where we celebrate the Disney fan and all of us, as well as DisneyAtWork.com which brings best in business ideas from the happiest place on earth to you and your workplace. We also appreciate those who, if you wouldn't mind, please go out to iTunes and share a rating and if possible, a review. We love to have uh, as much support as we can in trying to get the word of our podcast out to more individuals. Again, thanks for joining us for this week's show. And in the words of Sinbad's storybook voyage, always be sure to follow the compass of your heart. Have a great day.